Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. In today's episode, I continue my exploration of the Swedish skate scene with Victor Telegen, co-founder and CEO of the Stockholm-based eyewear and watch brand CHPO. Through this brand, which he launched in 2013, Victor aims to offer affordable, good quality products made for everywhere and everyone, and takes a strong stand for inclusivity and sustainability. These values are also reflected through the many collaborations the brand does every year with different skate-related charities and non-profits such as Skatistan, SkatePal, or the Ben Ramers Foundation, to name a few. Since 2016, he has also partnered up with the Stockholm Skate Park to launch Skate Nation, a program which uses skateboarding as a tool to welcome, activate, and integrate refugee kids who have arrived in Sweden by themselves. So here's my conversation with Victor. I hope you'll enjoy it. Thanks, Victor. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time to chat with me. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of interesting things. So yeah, I'm stoked. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. But before we start, I want to point out something. Jonathan Lummar, who was on here like two episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's from this city called, or town called Varberg. And he said, you know, it's like a city or a town that doesn't really have anything. This is all a lie. You know, <laughs> Varberg is, you know, the equivalent of Biarritz in Sweden. You know, it's oh, a really? summer town that people go to. They have, you know, decent surf for being a town in Sweden. Okay. So, and I actually did met him in Copenhagen. I brought this up that I think, <laughs> I think he undersold Varberg. Because, you know, Varberg is like a summer town, you know, a destination for a lot of people, especially on the West Coast. But even people from Stockholm will go to Varberg during the summer. So, you know, it's not just your average town. It's, you know, one of few towns where you can see like surfers walk the main street and stuff like that. Okay, so. okay. I see. He lied to me. I feel, I feel bad now. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I usually start with the guest just introducing himself or herself in a few words. So can you tell me a bit about where you grew up and, and how you found skateboarding, basically? Yeah, um, my name is Victor, Victor Telegen, and I'm born and raised in Stockholm, Sweden. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I became aware of skateboarding, but my first skateboard I actually bought from the ice cream truck. Because where I grew up, <laughs> really? the, the ice cream truck also sold skateboards. So my mom bought, bought me that one. And the cool thing was that the, the driver of the ice cream truck where I, where I grew up was also a skateboarder. So whenever he would come, you know, he would stop and chat with me for a little bit and, you know, give me some in and outs, you know, on what to do and what not to do. And I also remember him like, because obviously like the board you would get from the ice cream truck was really shitty ice, uh, <laughs> shitty board. And especially the wheels, I kept getting wheel bites. So he, oh, yeah. he gave me, or if he sold me like a nice pair of wheels that I put on a board. And that's how I got started. Okay. And then I think at the age of 12, I think this happened around like when I was like nine or 10. Then at the age of 12, I was given the possibility to go to Santa Cruz for a summer. Oh, nice. And stayed with an American family. And the son in that family was a couple of years older. And he, um, he skated. And so did his neighbor. So that's when I really like fully started skating. Cool. So 12 years old. Okay. And in Santa Cruz. 
Yeah, well, obviously I did start in Stockholm and I skated up and down the street where I lived for a couple of years before that happened. I felt like a skater before going to Santa Cruz. And then I saw them skate and I understood, you know, like, obviously there was more to it than I was doing. But okay. with that said, because where I grew up, which is like just north of Stockholm, a suburb to Stockholm, like the Thai community, you know, was based around uh, sports. So like everyone was doing like football or ice hockey and so did I and I was mm -hmm. part of both the football team and the ice hockey team but I was really really bad at it and the thing is like I'm really bad at everything I do apart from <laughs> maybe like I'm a, I'm a pretty good swimmer and I'm actually a pretty good surfer okay which is you know kind of sucks because it's you know swimming is not that fun and surfing you can't really do here in Sweden you can but you know like you yeah need to be super limited familiar. I'm sure yeah but apart from those sports I'm I you know I suck at all activities so like <laughs> I really enjoyed being in the ice hockey team and the football team but you know I was always you know like on the bench or like the last pick and so forth so when mm -hmm. I started when I bought that skateboard from the ice trick cup it gave me a lot of freedom to you know feel as good as I wanted Mm -hmm. But then, you know, going to Santa Cruz and then later on going into the city of Stockholm, I realized that what I was doing, you know, wasn't on par with what everyone else were doing on skateboards. And the tricks that I thought that I had, you know, come up with, you know, <laughs> yeah. someone else had already come up with a long time before. Okay. So you um, you started skating and um, you figured out pretty early on that you, you probably would never have the level to turn pro or make a career as, as, a, as a sponsored skater. But you still loved it and wanted to find a job in the in the skate industry someday. So when you were growing up in skating, did you already have this uh, desire of uh, creating your own brand one day, or did that come later? Well, yeah, I realized quite you know as soon as I went to Santa Cruz, I realized you know I could never become pro, and it's been like that ever since. Like I still dream of it every day. I think maybe not but you know i you know the dream is still there that i'll just wake up one day and magically i will be as good as i shot but it hasn't <laughs> happen, happened so far yeah um, well i don't know when i came up with the idea that i wanted to be involved in the skateboarding industry i think like when i was in high school i do think that i did talk about that you know one day i'm gonna have my own brand but i think okay. like when you when you're at the level of skating that i am which you know far from being a pro your option is usually the sidelines and mm -hmm. i didn't want to stand on the sidelines because i really really loved skateboarding and i really really loved the subculture and i do to this day like i love it so much like and mm -hmm. it's been something that's fascinated has fascinated me since you know a very very young age mm -hmm. so One of the two reasons why I started a brand is because, like, if I start a brand, I could sponsor myself and I could live like a professional skater. And I guess that's also what you read. But, you know, that's one of the things that motivated me to start uh, CHPO, which is a sunglass and watch brand that I run yep. with my business partner, Johan. But, uh, yeah, I didn't want to stand on the sidelines. Like, I wanted to be involved as possible. Be part of the gang. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, I saw that you studied um, like a business, basically communications, international trade, marketing. Uh, you studied in Sweden and in, in California and New Zealand also, uh, I think in Wellington for like, like a year or something. Yeah. And then you, you I don't know if it was your very first job, but then you started working for Quicksilver and, and Roxy back in 2011. So 10 years ago. Was that like one of your very first jobs or did you do other things before, after you graduated? In uh, no, 
it wasn't my first job. Uh, when I was studying at university, I used to work for a Swedish brand that's not around anymore called WSC. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That were at the time, you know, their brand, especially, if, you know, if you were from Sweden, like they did. I think, you know, what they did was pretty cool. Yeah. And yeah. I think yeah, they were an brand. amazing brand at the time. And so I worked for them and my goal was, you know, as soon as I graduate university, I'm going to start working for them. Okay. But, you know, when graduation came, I talked to the Swedish CEO at the time and he said, you know, I think it's, you know, it would be better for you to work if you want to work within marketing and communication. I think it's better, you know, if you take one or two years working at an advertising agency or a communication agency and then come back and then I would be, it would be easier for me to offer you a better position than if you start working now straight away. Okay. So I took his advice and so I actually did work for an agency for, I think, two years. And then I worked for another like snowboard clothing brand here in Sweden and then uh, Quicksilver. Okay. You just mentioned snowboarding. So yeah, I, I didn't ask you about that, but I understand that you're also very into uh, snowboarding and soccer. Well, in France, we say football and in Sweden as well, I think. Yeah, we say football because you play with your feet. It's a ball and yeah. you play with its feet. So it makes sense that it's called it's football. Called football. <laughs> like in America, they, you know, it's an egg-shaped ball that they hold in the hand. So I don't understand why it's called football. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense. But, <laughs> but yes, so did, did your interest for these uh, sports uh, like develop at the same time, kind of? Or uh, did one come after the other? Or? Well, for football, yeah, I'm really, really interested in football. I have a team that I support heavily here in, in Sweden called Djurgården. And, okay. uh, but with that said, I'm not like, you know, compared to a person who's not interested in football, then I'm, yes, I'm very, very interested in football and I know a lot about football. But if you compare it to someone who's really interested in football, then I come off as a person who doesn't have that much knowledge because I don't know how many, you know, goals Messi scored for PSG last year or, you know, I don't know all these statistics. Yeah. But what, I, what interests me and fascinates me the most is like the subculture surrounding football, you know, with everything from like the clothing, the music, mm -hmm. you know, the entire subculture surround being a football supporter. Yeah. You know, like you have the ultras, You have the casuals and so forth. That really, really fascinated me and has fascinated me since the age of 12. That's when I went to my first like professional football game here in Sweden. Before that, I used to go because the team I support both have a football team and ice hockey team. So, you know, my dad would bring me to the ice hockey games at a very young age. So I already supported you, Gordon, you know, since since more or less I was born. But then at the age of 12, I went to my first football game. And I remember being so fascinated about, you know, with the supporters and the crowd and, yeah, you know, how loud the, the crowd, yeah, the energy and how loud the crowd was. And since then, you know, I started going to the games and never stopped. Like I've had a season ticket since I was 15 and I still travel to away games, not as much as I used to in the mm -hmm. past, but I really like it. And, you know, whenever I'm abroad, I always try to fit in so I can go and see football in that city where I am. Oh, okay, okay. So I really, really like it. And with snowboarding, well, living in Sweden, it comes quite natural. If you're into skateboarding, especially, you know, if you live in Stockholm or even further north, during the winters, we get snow. So snowboarding becomes a quite an easy option. And my mm -hmm. mom, she's like, she's a former ski bum. So, you know, ever since I was a little kid, she would take me up to the mountains or even down to the Alps where she had friends 
like we would go by bus or by train to go skiing. So, you know, when I got into skateboarding, I decided, you know, snowboarding was my thing. And then she was really, really supported with that. So I've snowboarded a lot as well. Nice. And cool. I like it a lot. So I think I wouldn't say that all Swedish skaters snowboard because that would be a lie. But I think like a vast majority does because we are we are covered by snow during the winters. Yeah, it's much more accessible uh, than in France or, or in parts of the US and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So uh, tell me about this first job at Quicksilver. So how did that opportunity come to you and how was that whole experience over there? Because I think it lasted for quite a while, right? Like uh, at least two years or maybe three or four. Three, I think. Well, I'm also like, I think I'm, I'm really into board sports. But yeah, so I, I also surfed. Like I remember I went down to Saint-Jean-de-Luz, uh, which yeah, is, yeah. I'm guessing you're aware where it is. But for people who are not, it's just like it's on the, the southwest coast of France, yes, just, exactly. just below Biarritz. So I was there when I was like 12, I think, maybe 11 or 12. And I saw these guys like skateboarding on water. And I was like, wow, you know. <laughs> I could probably yeah. do that. So, so my dad, who I was there with, he bought me like this really, really cheap uh, surfboard, like the cheapest one you can get. And and it was so bad, you know, it was just a toy. So you weren't supposed to be able to stand up on it. But okay. I was so little at the time, so skinny that and had already skated. And I was, as I said, I was really good at swimming. So... <laughs> It came quite natural to me and I was able to surf that board. And then later that summer, my parents are divorced. My mom came down and picked me up and we went up by train to Saint-Martin. And there I met another Swedish guy who was the same age, who was also, also surfing. So then I really got into that. So obviously, like with being a part of surfing and when I was in Santa Cruz, I also surfed and, you know, I really got hooked on that. So whenever I got the opportunity... Like I, wor I started working at a very, very young age to save up to be able to go on surf and skate trips. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I started working at the age of like 13, 14 with the main purpose to be able to go surf and skate uh, abroad. Because okay. obviously the surf is not that good. So I spent like a lot of summers down in France at an early age, living like cool. in really like shitty studios and, you know, not having any money, but being able to surf while I was there. Have that lifestyle, yeah. Yeah, so with the surf, you know, being a part of surfing as well, obviously Quicksilver is one of the biggest brands, if not the biggest brand. So for sure, yeah. When I was working for this uh, Swedish snowboarding clothing brand, uh, I was approached by Quicksilver in Sweden to see if I was interested to, to work as a brand manager for them. And okay. obviously at the time, Quicksilver also did skateboarding and they had, you know, an amazing skateboard team and the skateboard program was actually quite good. You know, what's his name? Uh, Bill Strobeck. He was doing like filming edits for, for Quicksilver oh, at right. the time. Yeah, Stefan Janowski, Dylan Reeder were on the team. Yeah, and stuff. exactly. Yeah. I think Alex Olson, Reece maybe Forbes. even Austin Gillette, Reese Forbes. Solid team and the European, European team they had, and like the clothing and the shoes and everything that came out of Quicksilver skateboarding, I really, really liked. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like with Quicksilver, I got surfing, I got snowboarding, I got skateboarding. So it's like I got all three. Yeah. And I really, really enjoyed it for the first bit. And my goal was always to, to work in Sweden for a couple of years and then do such a good job that I would move down to southern France to the headquarters in Saint-Jean-de-Luz, you know, and continue my life as a Frenchman. Okay. But after a few years, Quicksilver decided to cut skateboarding. You know, they'd done Quicksilver skateboarding and actually did really well. But, you know, Quicksilver owned or still, maybe still owns DC. 
Right. So I think they were starting to take market shares out of DC. So they decided to cut the skateboarding and that DC would cut the surfing. And obviously this didn't help us at all in Sweden. Because in Sweden, like, there is surf, but it's not a lot. And we don't have a lot of surfers. But we do have a lot of skaters. And our main focus, while I had been the brand manager for Quicksilver in Sweden, was to focus on skateboarding. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, like, when we lost skateboarding overnight and had to, you know, focus on surfing, that was, you know, the beginning of the end for me. Yeah, and then I, I eventually decided to leave so that's when you left, uh, so around 2013, around there, or maybe was that a bit earlier? No, I think 2012 or 2013, yeah. Okay. So then you started CHPO. You mentioned that it was with your partner, Johan, Johan, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Yeah, Johan. Well, uh, the thing was, I've always had this idea in the back of my head, like all the way from high school, that I wanted to start my own brand. Mm -hmm. And I have started to build an idea what I wanted that brand to be and what I wanted to stand for. But working at WSC, working at Quicksilver, I knew apparel. So I was going to do apparel. So okay. I got introduced to Joanne by my younger brother. He knows apparel, you know, maybe he could be, he could help you to start this brand. So I had a meeting with mm -hmm. Joanne. And when I came out of that meeting, we had decided to, to start a brand, but that we were going to do watches and sunglasses instead of apparel. Okay. Because okay. he had worked with or has worked with, you know, every accessory there is in the world. So he gave me the idea to start working with sunglasses and watches instead of apparel. And that actually worked out pretty fine because none of us really had any money. Mm -hmm. So it's easier when you like when you do a sample collection for watches or sunglasses. It doesn't have to be as much as when you do clothing. And also like when it comes to carry stock, you don't have to carry sizes. Yeah. Like the sunglasses, okay. each model comes in one size and that goes for the watches as well. So, so in the beginning, like my first investment when I started CHPO was to buy a backpack, like a really big backpack where I could fit <laughs> like both the samples in, but also like the orders. And then I would bike around Stockholm and deliver the orders to the shops that had bought the products. Nice. Okay, cool. And also like going to the first trade show down in Berlin, it was just me and that backpack. And I had like the samples in the backpack and I had made this really, really nice catalog making us look like this major watch and sunglass brand from Sweden, which we really wasn't. Like it was me and I rented like half a desk. So it wasn't even like a full desk. And I had a couple of boxes of product, mm -hmm. but the catalog, like, you know, I used all the connections that I had from being in industry for, for quite some time with WSE and Quicksilver. And right. they really helped me to make this super, super nice catalog. So when I came down to Berlin, you know, I came down swinging mm -hmm. and from there it take, took off. Like actually, like I got a, an agent in France. That was one of my first countries abroad. And then also Japan. And it really took off in Japan quite quickly. So it was a good start. Yeah, yeah. Fake it till you make it. I really, you know, I <laughs> yeah. did. I did fake it for quite some time. How did you come up with the with the name uh, CHPO? I couldn't find the the story with the the name. Well, uh, actually, that's Johan came up with that name because he had a brand in the past called Shipo, which is spelled C H E A P O. Okay. So when we were going to start the brand, like I had an idea for what the brand would stand for, which is made for everywhere. And I'll tell you more about, yeah, you know, that I'll story in, that. in, yeah, in a sure. minute. But so he was like, okay, but I, I really think we should stick to this name. Like I had like a lot of success with this name. I think, you know, it's going to be good for us. And, you know, he gave me the opportunity to more or less run and everything else. I was like, okay, we'll use the name. Mm-hmm. 
And it worked well when we were working with countries that are not English speaking. I also thought the name was quite funny because you like, you know, we as a brand have our roots in skateboarding, music and art. That's like what we build the brand around, around. like all, all mm-hmm. our communication and all the collaborations we do are based on skateboarding, music and art. Right. And so being a cheapo, like you're always going to be like quite cheap, you know, when you come up in skateboarding, music and art. You're always going to be poor unless you succeed within that. But for the first couple of years, you know, you are going to be a cheapo. So I thought it was quite funny. And it worked in countries such as Sweden, France, Japan, Germany. It wasn't an issue because no one really thought of it. But then when we started working towards the UK and North America and South Africa, for them, you know, it's, it's an actual word. And it's someone who, you know, who's cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a person who doesn't want to pay for herself. And people thought, you know, when we talked to some shops, they were like, yeah, we really like the product, we like the profile, but, you know, that name doesn't work. But people would think that it's, you know, really bad quality and everything. So mm-hmm. we didn't really know what to do. Like, should we just ride it out? Kind of like there's a Swedish fashion brand called Acne, which is obviously like a skin disease. But, you know, they've been able just they've rolled it out. And now, you know, they're this like super hyped fashion brand globally. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you had a brand from Sweden called Cheap Monday. And I actually talked to one of the founders. They did jeans and they were really big also globally. Then they got bought by H&M and now they don't ex- exist anymore. But, you know, when they sold jeans for like 40 to 50 euros, there wasn't a problem having the name Cheap Monday. But when they started to selling more expensive apparel, people weren't too keen on having, you know, having the word cheap on that product when they actually paid like a decent amount of money. Mm-hmm. So we were like, should we write it out like Acne or should we do anything about it? And then, you know, we just decided to cut the E and the A out. Right. So okay. the logo that we had in the beginning and the one we have now more or less looks the same. We just cut the E and the A out and merged it together and we didn't say anything. So mm-hmm. like in English speaking countries, we started saying CHPO to get rid of like that cheapo vibe. So we just started saying CHPO. Mm-hmm. And in the non-English speaking country, we still say cheapo. And, you know, we still have customers to this day who email us with the old spelling that haven't realized oh, that okay. the E and the A has been cut out because we just switch it from one season to another without saying anything. Because, you know, obviously we didn't have, you know, the money to make like the entire rebrand thing and to go out and tell everyone why we did it. We, so we just did it low key. Yeah. Okay. I see. I still think to this day that like, obviously the name didn't really work out for us, but I still think it's a funny name that because with our roots in skateboarding, music and art, you know, you're always going to be a cheapo. And (laughs) at the time, both me and Joan were so poor, like I was collecting unemployment for the first part. And then, you know, I took whatever extra job I could get, you know, some that were really good, some that were really bad. So for the first three years of working with CHPO, I had to find my money elsewhere. So I do think with that in mind, it was cool that we did have that name when we were actual cheapos. Right, yeah, it makes sense and it tells your story, yeah, for sure. So you started the brand with Johan. Uh, Is he still a part of the brand or did he... Yeah, he is for sure. Like he's not working with the brand, but he actually owns more of the brand than I do. 
because he's a little rich kid. No, <laughs> no, but no, but yeah, he's still involved with the brand, but it doesn't work for the brand. So yeah, he's still around. Okay, for sure. I was going to ask you, like, how do you share the workload? But you just answered the question, basically, you're, like you're in charge and he's like uh, one of the founders with you. Exactly. But, uh, so yeah. like he's super, super supportive. You know, he still works in the industry. He works with this clothing brand called Dedicated, where, you know, he's also part owner. They do like fair trade streetwear. Okay. So, you know, he still gives me leads on customers, on agents and distributors and like all the major decisions that we have to make, I run through him, but I'm still the boss man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the CEO. And then we have um, people working for the brand as well. So I divide the tasks between us. Mm -hmm. And are all your employees in Sweden or do you have people also abroad that work for the brand? No, everyone is in, in Sweden. But with that said, we have agents and distributors in 23 or 24 countries. So obviously, you know, they're not employed by us, but they work with us. and Business partners. Yeah. And in some cases, it really feels like, you know, they've been working with us for so long and, you know, and always give us such great input on, you know, where to take the brand season mm -hmm. by season. So I really feel like they're part of of the brand but you know they're not employed by us but they work with the brand for sure yeah, yeah yeah but everyone who's employed is here in sweden in sweden right okay let's talk about the values of the brand so you started this uh, eyewear and watch brand and so you're competing against big big brands such as like uh, nixon or other brands like that in the skateboarding world so how did you develop the story of the brand with johan Tell me about like beginning the brand and deciding what it is, what it's going to be, basically. Well, that idea came like long before I started CHPO because I felt that with brands like WSE, obviously not around anymore, but at the time they had a really big voice. People listened to them and the same goes with Quicksilver and within like fashion in general, but within street fashion in particular, people really, really care about the brands you wear. Like if you see someone wearing Antihero, you know, there's a good chance that she or he will be into like drinking beers by bonfires, which is next <laughs> to, you know, a bowl. Yeah. And if you see someone wearing Poetic, you know, there's a good chance that she or he is like really into art and really enjoys going to Malmö. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Stereotype, stereotyping now, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, by course. wearing the brand, by wearing certain brands, it says something about you, especially within skateboarding. Yeah. And with that, I feel you get responsibility. And at the time, you know, the right wing movement was growing here in Sweden and unfortunately mm -hmm. still is. And all around Europe, you know, in, in France, you have Le Pen and eventually, yep. you know, America brought out Trump the UK Boris Johnson and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I felt that the politicians weren't doing enough and I felt that the brands weren't doing enough. So I decided like, if I create a brand, it's going to stand for something good that I feel is something good. So the tagline we work with is made for everywhere. And mm -hmm. that is for two different reasons. The main reason for that is we take a strong stand against racism, homophobia and hatred towards women. Mm 
So in all of our communication, you will find traces of that. Like the first yeah. ad we ever made was actually in a French skateboard magazine and it was a completely white page because we were doing really, really well in France, you know, more or less from the beginning when we started the brand. Mm-hmm. So it's a white page with a black text where it says, if you hate homosexuals, people of a different color, women, please does this one favor, don't buy our gear. And then the logo. So it's just mm-hmm. completely white with a black text. And obviously I've stolen that quote from Kurt Cobain. I think he says like, don't buy our records or don't come to our shows. Oh, but I felt it really, right. okay. really summed up who we are and what we stand for. And we still use that quote to this day. Like if you go on our website and you click on about us, you know, and in all the ads that we still do today, like in an ad, it could say like voted the best eyewear brand in the world. And then it has that little, you know, star on the corner where you're supposed to go and see the source. Yeah. And then at the bottom, it will says, you know, where the source should be. It says, if you hate homosexuals, people of different color women, please do this for favor and don't buy our gear. Right, right. But also to back this up, because it's obviously easy for brands or anyone to say like, yeah, I'm against homophobia, I'm against racism, I'm against, you know, hatred towards women. But Mm -hmm. to back this up, we do collaborations every year where we donate 100% of the profits to different projects, initiatives and and charities. So we have an ongoing collaboration with Skatistan, we worked with SkatePal, we worked with an organization called The Hunger Project. Ben Raymer's Foundation. Ben Raymer's Foundation with another Swedish organization that's called Make Equal that works for equality between the sexes in the professional space. We've mm-hmm. done a collaboration with Yuga and Post and where the money went for cancer research. Right, so right. every season we do these collaborations to back what we actually stand for. So it's not just words. Mm-hmm. And also, if you look at our team, like a vast majority of all skate teams globally are short white dudes. <laughs> And, you know, then they will have a couple of people that, you know, are not men and that are not short and that are not white. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's like what the vast majority has. And obviously that's not a reflection of how the world looks and ever had looked. So with our team, we're trying to be a reflection of our world and the world that we're living in. And to also show, you know, that... I want to show that it is possible to have a profitable brand, to have a cool brand, but at the same time actually do and stand for something good. So that's like the entire philosophy. And that's also why, you know, like all of our eyewear are made out of recycled materials. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. The packaging is made out of recycled materials. The straps for the watches are, you know, vegan. Vegan leather, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We also have watches that are made out of recycled stainless steel. So like we're trying to have a positive impact. Well, I wouldn't say because obviously we don't have a positive impact on environment since we're producing. Yeah, but, you know, try to limit it. Yeah. Limit it as much as possible. Of course. Because yeah. if everyone limited, you know, we are going to live in a better world. So yeah, yeah. for us, like the social values and the values for the environment are, you know, crucial for the brand. And that's why we build the brand around. Mm hmm. So you mentioned uh, the team. Uh, yeah, I was looking at the team yesterday on, on the website and uh, it is quite eclectic. And I was just wondering, how, how do you um, decide basically who, who gets uh, to represent CHPO? 
Do you decide on your own? Do you consult Johan or other people? Or how do you decide uh, who gets to represent the brand, basically? Well, we do it amongst us and then also like through recommendations. But more or less, it happens kind of organically. You know, like Sarah, for example, like I knew her from WSC. Yep. We didn't know each other very well, but like I knew of her. And I knew that she was an amazing skateboarder. And I also knew that, you know, she had good values. So, you know, you know, obviously that would be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Fernando Bramsmark down from Malmö. Another Brigeriets alumni. Yeah. Exactly. You know, same thing, like super nice person, super friendly, shares the values of the brand. Those are just two. There's w- way more. But, you know, some have approached us and some I've approached. Okay. So it just happened more or less organically. Like Nuge, uh, he was DJing this event he did in LA and I started talking to him. Vanessa Torres, yeah. Yeah, Vanessa Torres. She was going to be participate at the X Games in Oslo. So I actually traveled to Oslo just to be able to talk to her and see if, you know, if she would be interested because I also felt that she would be a really, really good match. Yeah. And so yeah, forth. Yeah. So some out of coincidence, some, you know, where I've really been focused on trying to get them and, you know, some have a approach touch, but mm-hmm. we value them all equally. And I think, you know, they all bring something different to the brand. So you mentioned all the collaborations you do with uh, charities and nonprofits. And so you donate like uh, the profits to them. But you also do like collaborations with brands, like you mentioned. Um, well, I guess it was also towards a, a charity afterwards. But you mentioned the collaboration you did with Yuga for um, Pose Details, the Corve Corve watch, or I don't know yeah, what it's yeah. called. So yeah, I was just curious to ask you about that one because he told me about it when I interviewed him a few months ago, and uh, I thought it was a really funny idea. And I think he told me he brought this idea first to Swatch, or maybe, or like a, a big uh, watch brand, and eventually uh, it worked out with you. Yeah, I didn't know he talked to Swatch first. You know, okay. <laughs> I, I, well, I heard that when I listened to your podcast and I felt sloppy second, you know. <laughs> no, because we're more or less the same age, me and Yuga, and Yuga is an amazing skateboarder, and today a really, really good friend of mine, but even though, you know, I think he might be a few years younger than me, it's still a person I've, you know, always looked up to because of his skateboarding, and then eventually I got to know him. Mm -hmm. When I was in Berlin, like for one of the first trade shows, I remember buying like a post details beanie because they were sold at Civilist in Berlin. And I thought, you know, that was a really, really cool brand and still do to this day. Yeah. So, you know, when he approached me with this idea, it was a given. Like I said, yes, straight away. And we started working on it straight away. Cool. It was quite a lot of work to get it to work, you know, because I know he mentioned this in the podcast as well. But like with the hands, you know, they have to be a certain weight for the movement to be able to turn them around. So it's not always going to be late. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of work. But, you know, the result was amazing. And actually that like we've never had a watch that sold out that fast. You know, it was like, you know, when Nike sells dunks. Oh, yeah. okay. We sold out that watch like as soon as we put it online. A few seconds later, it was gone. Oh, wow. And to this day, we still get people emailing us about that watch. Like, bring it back? or Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just like, do you have any extra in stock or anything like that? But I think, like, obviously, like, the attraction that Yuga has as a person and that Post Details had 
really, really helped. But then I think it came down to the design because at the time we were working with this PR agency Mm-hmm. And we asked that PR agency to give this watch an extra push, you know, and they came back to us and said like, yeah, none of the fashion magazines in Sweden really want to pick it up. But, you know, there's this one men's fashion magazine called Café, you know, they will do a post on Facebook, like, sorry, that's all we could do. And we were like, oh, bummer, you know, mm-hmm. and then Café posted it on their Facebook And we checked, like when they would post something on their Facebook, it would be like two comments and uh, a few likes. This, I might be exaggerating now, but I think it was like 3,000 likes and 2,000 comments. It was like within that span. It was like ridiculous. And there was like people like, I can't wait to this watch. This is the greatest watch I've ever seen. I can't wait (laughs) until it's launched. So when we pressed launched, it was gone. So that was pretty cool, actually. And, you know, also a finger, a middle finger to, you know, the Swedish fashion industry who's never cared about us at all. Like they've more or less never written about us and the collaborations we do and the work we do. They don't care Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, we're not fashionable enough for them. But when we did this thing with this cool little headwear brand from Malmö, we skyrocketed through one of their channels. And they did it, you know, more or less as a favor for that PR agency that we were working with at the time. So it was cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was a cool project. And and did Yuga come to you uh, with the idea of donating the profits to the the prostate cancer research? We've worked on the design together, but it was like Yuga's idea from the beginning Mm -hmm. to the end, because they had already done this Carve Lover another Corv Lover collection with Post before. Yeah. And Corv is, you know, sausage or a hot dog in Swedish. So they had already donated the money from the past collection to Cancer Research. So they were like, if you want to do this, and, and, you know, obviously this is a big part of what we do. So, you know, Mm -hmm. that was a given. But I would say, like, from the design to where to donate the money, I was more or less, you know, like a well-functioning tool for Yuga and Martin. But, you know, this is their amazing creation and I just helped them make it reality. Yeah, 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 for sure. And so I, I mentioned uh, the Bunt earlier. I was just curious to know how, how did you get involved with them? Because I know they've been uh, ambassadors basically of CHPO for at least a season or two now or maybe no, more. It's more. I think it's been like close to three years that as well. Oh, okay, okay. You know, when Nine Club came, everyone was like listening to Nine Club and there was a lot of talk about Nine Club. And, mm-hmm. But then a, a friend of mine named Hannes, he said, well, you know, like Nine Club in all its glory, but, you know, you should check out this podcast called The Bunt. They're from Canada, so, you know, they're not as bro and dude as mm-hmm. the Nine Club. And, you know, their format is a little bit different and they also talk about sports. I think you're really going to like them. Like, mm-hmm. And he really, really loved them. So I started listening to the band and, you know, I really, really liked what I heard. Like, I think they're doing such an amazing job. Like, the yeah. format is good since they are, you know, the skate fans that they are and the fact that they're not from the US. So they come in more with a different angle than someone, you know, who's in the middle of the industry in Southern California. Yes, yes, absolutely. Not saying that, you know, that's a bad thing. I think the Nine Club, you know, has episodes that are really, really good. And I think they're doing a really good job. But being a Swede or European, I think it's easier to 
Yeah, to relate. To relate to the band and, you know, the way they structure their podcast. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I listened to them for quite some time and then I just reached out and was wondering, you know, if they were interested in, in working with us. And luckily they were and we've been working with them since then. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, we did like competitions, like where people, you know, like find a Bond logo on the CHPO website and you can win a watch and a pair of sunglasses. And we still do to a certain degree, but now we're, you know, we're using them to tell the stories of the collaborations we do. We will have them talk about, you know, what Skatistan is working with at the moment, what Skatepal is working with at the moment, what Make Life Skate Life, which is another NGO that we've been working with. Exactly. This Swedish filmer, an amazing Swedish filmer called Marcus Bengtsson or Maki Bengtsson. Yep, poetic filmer. Exactly. Well, obviously he works for poetic, but he, I would say just filmer. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. But yeah, he's done a lot of things for, for poetic. Yeah. So him and I and um, Jono, a guy from Vague, and Helena Long, who skates for us, we traveled to Lebanon and did a short documentary, which I would encourage everyone to check out. We did a collaboration with Make Life Skate Life. Mm-hmm. So we co-funded the first skate park ever to be built in Beirut. We were there for a week and Marcus did this amazing documentary about that skate park and the skate scene in uh, Beirut. So, you know, I would encourage everyone to yeah. check that out. So coming back to the bunt, you know, then the bunt guys will, instead of talking about us, you know, they will be talking about Make Life Skate Life and this film and the collaboration. So mm-hmm. we're using this collaboration or cooperation that we have with the bunt to talk about the different collaborations to really push the different charities and NGOs that we work with instead of pushing us as a brand. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but it's, it's still linked. But uh, I heard about Skate Nation and I was interested in asking you about that project. It looks like it's a program developed by CHPO and the Stockholm Skate Park to um, help welcome uh, refugee kids who arrived in Sweden and help them, you know, integrate basically uh, Sweden in general, uh, using skateboarding as a tool to, uh, you know, make them feel better and, and just help out with this uh, transition sort of. So uh, Skate Nation is something I founded in 2016. At the time, we, Sweden, like a lot of countries in Europe, accepted a lot of refugees and a lot of refugees from especially Syria and Afghanistan. And a lot of them were kids who arrived by themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of others, I felt like I wanted to do something for them, but I re- didn't really know what to do. And at the very same time, we were about to launch our first collaboration with Skatistan. Yep. So we had rented a cinema, like a movie theater in Stockholm to screen a film about Skatistan and to talk about Skatistan and the collaboration. Mm-hmm. So we had like, it was a full movie theater. It was like 200 people there and we screened the film and it was like a big success for the collaboration and for, you know, to informing people about Skatistan and the great work they're doing. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, I was approached by this girl named Sonja, who was working as a volunteer at a a home for refugee kids. And she said, you know, like all of them are from Afghanistan. You know, everything they hear and see about Afghanistan is negative. And this this was like a really positive film. You know, would you be interested in coming to this refugee house and and show it? Uh 
And I was like, yeah, sure. But then I started thinking, it was like, well, there probably, you know, there's hundreds of the refugee houses in Sweden at the time. So I was like, I'll just rent the movie theater again and then we'll invite more uh, refugee houses. We invited like eight or nine of these houses where the refugees were living and screened the film again for them. Okay. But then I realized I can't just show a film about skateboarding and not giving them the opportunity to skate. So I called right. my friend Magnus Julenberg, who worked at Stockholm Skate Park, and was like, we're showing this film about Skatistan. You know, would it be cool if, you know, we came by afterwards and, you know, the kids can try to skate? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, sure. Like, no problem. And we did a Facebook event. We invited people to come and volunteer as coaches, you know, to bring boards and everything. And the Stockholm skate community, like, showed up. And, you know, the screening went well. The skateboarding went well. Like, all the kids were, like, super stoked. And it was just going to be this one thing. But then, you know, when we reached the end of the day, like this one kid came up to me and he was like, you know, this is amazing. When are we doing this again? <laughs> and I had nothing planned. You know, I briefly looked in my calendar and saw that in two weeks time, I have a free spot in my calendar. I was like, yeah, same time in two weeks without checking with Stockholm Skate Park or, you know. Yeah. So he told all his friends there and then all the volunteers eventually came up as well. and was like, you know, for some of the kids, this is the first time we've seen them laugh since they came to Sweden. Like, when are you doing this again? And I was like, well, same time in two weeks at the Stockholm Skate Park. Okay. And then it just took off from there. And now, you know, we've met over 2,000 kids. We have sessions every week here in Stockholm. We have camps during the holidays. Uh, we have a book circle. We do road trips to other skate parks around Sweden. We have a leadership course that the participants can take. Because just like Skatistan, we don't want this to be something that we force you know, down onto them. So we're trying mm-hmm. to, as much as we can, for the participants to become the new coaches. So, and we've succeeded with that. So the kids that I once welcomed to Sweden through skateboarding, because the entire purpose of skateboarding is, as you said, to welcome and integrate and activate people who arrive to Sweden. Yeah. In the beginning, it was for kids by themselves, but now it's anyone who feels they need help to get integrated into the Swedish society. And then we use skateboarding as a tool. Yeah. And yeah. so, as I was saying, now the kids that I once welcomed through skateboarding are now welcoming new refugee kids through skateboarding. And today we're not just in Stockholm anymore. We're in Gothenburg, which is the second biggest city in Sweden on the West Coast. Uh We're down in Skåne, which is the region where Malmö is located in a smaller town called Eslöv. And we're in uh, Dalarna, which is more like two hours north of Sweden in a city called Bålänge. So now we're in four locations. Cool. And um, yeah, we're running the skate lessons. We're running the camps. We're really using skateboarding as a way to integrate and it works like it really, really, really works because the cool thing about skateboarding, if you compare it to like football or tennis, like if you and I are going to play football and you're really good and I'm not, you know, it's not going to be that fun for any of us. But if you and I are skating and we're at different levels, we're still skateboarding the same space and we can still get hyped for each other no matter the level we're on. Very true. And also the skateboard community has shown to be very, very welcoming. 
yeah. and like has with open arms welcome Skate Nation and the kids who come through it. And obviously, like the goal is, you know, for the kids to come through skateboarding and then get new friends within skateboarding and be on their way within their lives in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And we've noticed like the kids that come through us, their Swedish get better. They get a better understanding for how the society works. They understand why Swedes are dead quiet when we take public <laughs> transportation. Yeah. You know, like they understand us. And also, you know, we get understanding for them. So I would encourage anyone anywhere in the world to start something like this. Because for me, like I get to mix the pleasure of skateboarding with the pleasure of actually helping people to become a part of our society. Exactly. No, it's very cool. I, I saw this uh, like video on the website. Uh, there's like a, a few guys that are portrayed throughout the piece. I think one of them at, at some point is trying to ollie from a little gap in a skate park. Yeah. And uh, he bails a few times and, and then he makes it. And it just made me so happy, like just to see him so stoked and to see like his friends high fiving. And stuff. I mean, it's it's a bit cliche to say that, but it, it, this hypes me a bit more than seeing like an actual incredible trick, like in a primitive video or whatever, you know, that's great as well. But uh, but to see that, you know, that very spontaneous uh, energy, it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, I would encourage like that documentary is in Swedish, but it has English subtitles. So if you go on skatenation.se, you will find it at the very bottom of the website. And yeah, it's it's cool to see. I'm not saying that just because I'm in it, but (laughs) those three guys have all been coaches with us. Unfortunately, only two, only one of those three are here in Sweden now. Two of them were deported. So one of them were actually deported back to Afghanistan. And one fled to... He took the night train to Germany and like hid in the toilets. But now, luckily, he's going to become like... He's got a permanent visa for Germany and will eventually become, you know, a German citizen. So that's amazing. And I know he's... The cool thing about him, his name is Sayed, is that now he's involved with something equivalent to Skate Nation in his new hometown, which is Hamburg. Okay. So that's awesome. amazing. But unfortunately, Mosen, the guy who does the ollie down that stair at the skate park, he got uh, deported back to oh, okay. Kabul. Swedish migration didn't feel that, you know, a war that had taken, you know, 20,000 lives and including his dad and a non-existing home to return to was enough reason for him to stay day so he's back in Kabul and since then we've been working to try to get him back on a working visa at first we tried to employ him at Skate Nation but then Swedish migration thought that we just made up this position for him yeah so obviously like it's frightening how the way Swedish migration and other you know equivalent yeah yeah, (laughs) other countries are working because the really sad part of like one week before he got deported, we got a visit from the Swedish crown princess, Princess Victoria. Okay. And she congratulated us on the amazing work we're doing for integration in Sweden. And then the week after he's deported back to Afghanistan. But yeah, but Swedish migration didn't feel that Skate Nation was, you know, a real employee. Which is weird because, you know, what we do is that we eventually when they go from participant to coaches, they actually get paid by us. So he would have like a full time job with us, like coordinating the coaches. So we really did need him. 
but mm-hmm. the Swedish migration didn't believe us. So now he's been given a job at a supermarket here in Sweden. Okay. So hopefully Swedish migration think that working in a supermarket is a real job. So he can <laughs> come back to Sweden on a working visa. But okay. the third person, Hasrat, he's still here and he still works as a coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all three of them and did an amazing job while they were here. And Hasrat still is like he's... What he's been through and he can really relate to the kids that we have in the program. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, like even though I founded it and then it was made like into a proper organization together with CHPO and Stockholm Skate Park, which is quite unique that you have this partnership or yeah that it's kind of like an odd partnership but like we made it happen Mm -hmm. but it's Hasrat, Mosen, Sayed, Abbas, Nemat, Evi, Effi, all of the coaches they're the ones who are making it happen and they are Skate Nation we're just we just gave them the platform but they're the ones who are making it happen and all like the new participants are on the way to becoming coaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah that's amazing. Oh, I hope uh, the, uh, I forgot the name of the guy you mentioned who's uh, s- still in Kabul, unfortunately, but I, awesome. I hope he makes awesome. his way. Yeah, yeah, so do I. Yeah, he has to wake his mate back in one way or another. And I can also like do a bit of, it of advertising here for Skate Nation. <laughs> We're, we just released a book. Okay. But it's a photo book, so it's a little bit of Swedish in there, but the pictures are taken by a Swedish photographer called Dennis Olsson, who joined us for the summer of 2020. And uh, it's available at chpobrand.com. So, you know, the photos are amazing and 100% of the profits are donated to Skate Nation and the work we do to integrate refugee kids into the Swedish society. Amazing. This is also something I wanted to ask you about. It's kind of linked to what you just talked about. But I saw that you spent a month in Palestine in 2019 and did some volunteer work at a skate pal. Yeah. And so I was just wondering, how was that experience, basically? Because it must have been quite a change from Sweden, from your regular life and and working as a brand owner and everything. How how was it all, uh, that experience? Oh, it was it was truly amazing. Some parts of it like was really, really hard to understand and to, to grasp. But if you start with the amazing part, like Palestine as a country is amazing. Like the people are without a doubt, you know, I've been given the privilege to travel the world because of my former employees, but especially CHPO. Like I've traveled all of the world, like I've succeeded with living the life of a, of a skate pro <laughs> with that. But, you know, I've been given the privilege to travel the world. And I would say like the people of Palestine are the most welcoming people I've ever met met mm-hmm. and uh, you know i stand firm to that and it's a beautiful country and it's a beautiful people and what skate pal has done in palestine is truly truly amazing like their work with the kids is so inspirational and i would encourage everyone who get the opportunity to either just go to palestine and visit and to skate And, you know, it's not hard to travel there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So go if you can and just like be a part of Palestine or go there as a volunteer and volunteer for for Skate Pal because they're doing an amazing job. Mm -hmm. 
At the same time, you know, I'm going to be totally honest, you know, it was hard to see how the Israelis are treating the Palestinian people. Like, I have a friend, a Swedish friend, who's married to a black girl from South Africa, and, you know, she told me how it was in her early years when it was still apartheid and, you know, the stories from her parents. Mm -hmm. And I've had those stories in the back of my head. And then traveling to Palestine, it's more or less the exact same structure that's enforced on the Palestinian people. Because, you know, they are trapped in their own country. And, you know, you'll be traveling down the road and all of a sudden the Israeli army will put out the checkpoint, pull everyone out of the car, point guns at you for no reason at all. They will go into people's houses and turn them upside down just to make sure that they can't find any you know any weapons or anything like that in there yeah. so that was really really hard to see but at the same time an amazing experience talked about collaborations you, you just did one with uh, Brigeriet's gymnasium so basically you had this project with the class of 2022 and had them design a pair of sunglasses and then all of the profits from the sales of the sunglasses will help them finance a trip to the Vladimir Film Festival in Croatia so yeah I was just uh, curious to hear you talk about that how, how did that whole project uh, come about and uh, how, how did it go? Well, it was me and John who talked. I think he just asked if I was interested to come to the school and talk about CHPO and Skate Nation and so forth. Mm -hmm. But I had at that time heard about, they had done like a collaboration with Nike SB where the students got to design a shoe. But I think the shoe was actually never produced or I'm pretty sure the shoe was never produced. So I knew that in the back of my head. So when he asked, I was like, yeah, sure, I can come and talk, but let's make it into an actual product. Like, let's make it into something real. Tangible, yeah. Yeah, so... Together, you know, we sat down in a park in Malmö, had a cup of tea and discussed what it could be and what it could look like. And when the fall semester started, I did like a class where I talked about CHPO and Skate Nation and everything. And then that boiled down to like, and the reason why I've told you all this information is because you're going to design a product, you're going to produce a product, you're going to sell a product, you're going to market the product. Mm -hmm. And then the profits from that will go towards your class trip to the Vladimir Film Festival. Right. And it was an amazing project. I traveled down to Malmö like once every second month. And for every time I came down, like they presented something new, like, you know, the second time I came down, they presented different design ideas that they had. Mm -hmm. And then we decided like, okay, we're going to do this idea, which was the sunglasses. And then, you know, they were giving new tasks on, okay, you know, now we've set the design, like what's the packaging going to look like? When are we going to start production? When do we want the products to be in stock and so forth? And then, you know, how are we going to present it to the distributors and agents? So they are hyped so they can hype the stores they work with. Uh -huh. So they literally had to do everything. And then, you know, when all these distributors and agents and shops have bought into the product, how are we going to get the end consumer hyped on, you know, the people actually going to buy the sunglasses? How are we going to get them hyped? Like yeah. what type 
type of marketing do you want to do? And, you know, they took photos, they wrote text, they made films. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they also sold. So they would phone up different skate shops that they had people working at that they knew, but also skate shop where they didn't know anyone like the cold calls. So during this year, they were a part of CHPO. Yeah, and yeah. what I hope that they learned, it's first and foremost, it's not that difficult to run a brand. Like, yes, there's a lot of work, but there's no like secrets or something you need to know that's really, really hard. This is what it is. Like you design a product, you produce a product, you sell the product, you market the product. And they uh-huh. were part of that entire process. And for me, on my end, it went really, really smoothly. I think it was harder for John because, you know, obviously it's a class of 20 plus students that, you know, are about to graduate who are in their late teens. And, you know, all of a sudden someone doesn't have a place to live. All of a sudden someone has broken up with their partner, <laughs> someone overseas slept for a particular class where they were going to do something and stuff like that. So I think it was tougher on John than it was for (laughs) me. For me, it was, I'm not going to say it was smooth sailing, but the class of 2022 was amazing. Like everything they produced came out really, really well. Like, and the sunglasses sold out so quick when it hit the stores. Yeah. So that's what I saw because I saw on Instagram when it came out and uh, I think John mentioned it to me and also the, the Bond guys told me about it. And so when I saw like some Instagram posts and stories coming about this, I was like, oh, I'm going to buy a pair uh, to support the school, you know, and, and everything. And I looked into it a few weeks later and then it was sold out. So I was like, oh, shit, I missed uh, the opportunity. So, yeah, I will see if we have one, I will send it to you. Oh, please. I would be so hyped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's all gone. Some of the skate shops might still have them. But I know like okay. I went down to Street Lab in Malmö. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they said they sold out in just a few days. So, yeah. Well, that's amazing. It was it was the whole point. So yeah. yeah, and this is all because of the students. Yeah, it was the students that made it happen. Like again, just like with Skate Nation, me and John we gave them the platform, but they are the ones that really, really made it happen. So like, yeah. I hope they're proud because they really should be. And I hope they have learned that it's not that hard. And if they want to make it happen, they can make it happen themselves. So absolutely. And obviously that the purpose wasn't to sell 400 sunglasses, which we produced and for them to go to Vladimir Fist Festival. That's obviously a nice cherry on the cake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the real purpose was for them to learn and to learn understand. Learn about project management. and yeah. Exactly. And I really hope we were able to succeed that. I think yeah. so. Like, because at the after party, when we went out to dinner and karaoke, you know, after a few beers, a lot of them came up and said that they've learned a lot. So I hope, you know, that wasn't just drunken talk. <laughs> I hope that, you know, it was that they were honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's next basically for you? Like, can you tell me a bit about the next projects you have coming up maybe for CHPO or uh, what, what's on your to-do list for the next few months or like the year to come maybe? Well, okay. In all honesty, like we've taken down Nixon. Now we're going to take down Oakley. And, you know, <laughs> when we've taken down Oakley, I'm going to start this energy drink brand called Monster Bull. And with the money from that, I'm going to buy Qatar 
And obviously when I own Qatar, you know, I will own Manchester City Football Club and PSG. And, you know, <laughs> I will merge them into one football club called Football City Club. And yeah. then, you know, I'm going to give them new colors, which is going to be the colors of Monster Bull. And uh, I'm going to tell all the supporters that they can't wear the old colors of Manchester City and PSG. They have to wear the new colors. Otherwise, they will be banned from the stadium. And then I will have Nigel Houston play on top together with Messi. Not <laughs> because that I think he'll be good, but I think because, because I can. <laughs> and that's modern skateboarding, modern football and modern society all merged into one. And yeah, that's my plan for CHBO. So your dream is to become a, a dictator, basically. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do any of that. What we got going on with CHPO? Well, we have a collaboration dropping today with Love and Skate, which is an amazing skate brand out of uh, the UK. A guy oh, named yeah. Stuart Smith who runs Love and Skate. It's a really, really cool brand. Like they screen print all their boards and all the shirts themselves. Mm -hmm. They do it in East London and it's an amazing brand. And we have a collaboration coming out with them, which is a pair of stupidly pink sunglasses with a blue <laughs> mirror lens. Okay. You know, if you don't want to be low key, these are the sunglasses for you. Perfect. Then um, we have another collaboration that will drop mid-July, but it's a secret. So I can't say anything about it, but... Okay. It's related to CHPO and what we stand for. Okay. And nice. uh, then also for uh, fall, we're also going to start producing uh, snow goggles for all the snowboarders out there. Okay. So that's cool. a new product category for us. Then we have uh, some other collaborations in the pipeline that are in the works as well, but I can't really talk about them yet. No, of course. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. But also, like, um, you know, we're always working with Skatistan yeah, and, yeah. and supporting their amazing job. A vast majority of the marketing money or the marketing budget at CHPO goes straight into Skate Nation to continue to build Skate Nation. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I think that's it. Cool. Yeah, that's already quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I, I finish my interviews usually with this question before the friends questions. What's the most valuable lesson that you feel that you've learned from skateboarding? It's a really like I've heard you ask this question to other people who's been on the podcast. And I think it's a really, really hard question to answer. Mm hmm. Because, you know, skateboarding has given me so much, you know, it's given me a big part of my life. But the most valuable lesson, I would say maybe, you know, that skateboarding builds character. Like skateboarding is so hard and you get so used to failure when you're a skateboarder. Because, you know, to be able to learn a new trick, you need to fail so many times to be able to succeed. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why you see so many good entrepreneurs coming out of skateboarding. Because within skateboarding, we're used to fail. Yeah. You know, we're used to being at the very bottom and then working our way back up. So like failure is not a problem for skaters. Mm -hmm. And we know what you need to put in to succeed. And I feel that in so many different ways in life. Like I'm really bad cook. And then like when I'm <laughs> going to start working on a dish like all right I just have to work my way through it just like I have to work my way through if I want to land a trick but yeah, I think yeah, it yeah. goes for every aspect of life and then as I said I think that's why you see so many like great initiatives like make life skate life skate stand skate pal and so 
forth to come yeah. out of skateboarding. And also, I think that's why you see so many amazing entrepreneurs to come out of skateboarding because it really, really builds character. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. All right. So let's uh, head into the friends questions. So let's start with this very first one. Yo, 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 Victor. It's your main man, the ghost. He'd take. Uh, I'm wondering if you had to erase one thing out of your life completely, it no longer existed to you, soccer, or should I say football or skateboarding? Which one's got to go first, man? The ghost from the bunt. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> That's probably like the hardest question. It's like, it's like, you know, you have two kids and you have to kill one of them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so hard to answer. I don't know. Like football is such a big part of my life. Like I love going to football. Mm -hmm. But then again, I built my career on skateboarding and I really like skateboarding. And I, you know, obviously skate more than I go to football. So now, you know, football has to go. But, you know, I'm going to be a very, very sad person when it leaves because I really, really love watching football. And I love being a part of like the football culture. <laughs> It's amazing. But yeah, that's that's a good question. It's a hard question. But yeah, football got to go, unfortunately. Okay. Unfortunately. But I, I hope it never, ever comes down to that because I want both in my life. All right. This is actually kind of a similar question. It's a written one. Uh, I don't have the audio, but it's from uh, Martin Ander, uh, Mander. Yeah. So he said, fuck, marry, kill, skateboarding, football, snowboarding. Oh, man, <laughs> these are so hard questions because I really, really love snowboarding as well. Damn it. Well, I guess I guess snowboarding got to go. I got to kill snowboarding and then I'll just have some casual sex with football and then I'll marry, marry skateboarding. skateboarding. Yeah, marry skateboarding. But, you know, again, like I don't want to kill snowboarding. Like I yeah, love yeah, snowboarding yeah. as well. But yeah. All right. So next question. Okay, so from your fave London gal. I got a question for Victor, which is, what is your favorite, a few of your favorite, like, London phrases or just UK slang? Because I know he's, like, probably a bigger fan of, like, these ends than I am. All right, big love, Victor. That was Helena Long. Yes. So part of the CHPO team. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's obviously a favorite from London, but, you know, Lisa Chisholm, who's also on the CHPO team, and Lucy Adams, who's just outside London. So Right, yeah. You know, just for the record, I have to say I like all of you <laughs> as much. But yeah, for slang, yeah, I do really, really like British slang. I think it's amazing. Well, biblical, if something is really good, I call it biblical. I think that's amazing. Okay. It's an older phrase, but when you get slushed down at the pub, you know, I really, really like that. No, I haven't been slushed for six years now, so I haven't been drunk for six years. Okay. But I really, really like that one. And then there's quite a lot of ones that I really don't want to say here on the podcast, but yeah. biblical is my favorite one. I use pump a lot, and that's short for pumpkin. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I really, really like the, the English football culture. I think it's amazing. And also the English music scene is amazing and all, you know, all the words that comes out of that one. But biblical mm -hmm. is without a doubt my favorite one. All right. Next question. Hey Victor, it's Madeline and I have the honor to ask you a question in your episode. So, I, yeah, you've been working with different brands since a few years back with Super Brands, doing a lot of creative and amazing things. So my question is, where do you get your inspiration from 
and is there any brand that you especially get inspired of looking forward to listen to this episode take care bye-bye did you recognize the voice yeah madeleine uh, ugla is that how you say your last name Ugla, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, she lives here in Stockholm now. She's from Malmö, but she lives in Stockholm. Okay. Well, where I find my inspiration, that's a hard one, but I find a lot of inspiration from the people who run other NGOs, you know, like the people behind SkatePal or Oliver at Skatistan, mm-hmm. or about Make Life Skate Life, you know, and their drive. And, you know, whenever I see what they're doing, which is amazing, I always feel that I can do better, not better than them, but I could better myself. Uh, so when it comes to that, I find a lot of inspiration through that. It's a bit of a cliche, but I find a lot of inspiration from also like Hasrat and Mosen and everyone who's gone through Skate Nation. Mm-hmm. And then I also find a lot of inspirations through artists, you know, like um, Funeral French on Instagram, Mander, who asked the question earlier, uh-huh. you know, Lisa Chisholm. Because I always find that when artists are given the opportunity to do collaborations, those collaborations are usually more interesting than two brands doing a collaboration together. Yeah. And then I also get a lot of inspiration from Stu at Love and Skate. Like uh, mm-hmm. I really look up to him and the work that he does. And then also my business partner, Johan. Yeah. Like his drive is amazing. So, and if I have any favorite brands, I would say, you know, Love and Skate is Mm -hmm. obviously a brand that I really, really like. You know, I think Pontus and Polar have done an amazing job, you know, building that brand. It's last resort. Yeah. And then Tom at Poetic, you know, Mm -hmm. being very, very true to what he wants the brand to be and not affected of how others think that skateboard brands should be. Mm -hmm. And also like um, the Bunt, you know, their passion for skateboarding and the passion for what they're doing. I also find that inspiring. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And also like the people on the team, like Ryan Lay is such a big source for inspiration. So I guess I've mentioned everyone who's, you know, in one way or another connected to CHPO. But yeah, those are the ones I find, you know, a lot of my inspiration from, for sure. All right. So the next one, let's see. Hi, Kantan. Hello, Victor. Maki here. I hope all is well with you. My question for you, Victor, is about the brand that you are the mastermind behind, CHPO. How do you people at the brand choose what kind of organizations you want to fund, help out, or do a collaboration with? How is your process there with knowing like, okay, this kind of values is the same kind of values that we have at the brand and we want to help out with and so on and so on. So that's pretty much my question. Like, how is the process there with like helping out this different kind of organization that you guys do, which is awesome. Much love to both of you. Enjoy the rest of the interview. Bye. Ah, thank you. That's, yeah, that's Maki Bengtsson, the one who uh, made the documentary from yes. our trip to Lebanon called When Least Expected. Mm-hmm. Well, that guy is the definition of a good guy. Like, if you search on Wikipedia for a good guy, there's a good chance a picture <laughs> of Maki will pop up right there. And, you know, he's a good filmer as well. Yeah. 
Well, we as a brand, like when me and Johan founded a brand, like we both have our interests in skateboarding, music and art. And that's, you know, the roots of the brand as well. So we try to find different charities and NGOs that are in some way connected to skateboarding, music and art. Mm -hmm. But with that said, we are also willing to do collaborations with organizations and people from outside this world. So I think it just comes down to like, if we're doing a collaboration with a charity, they obviously have good values and are working for a great cause. And then it's like a no brainer. If we're going to do collaboration with another brand, for us, it's important that you share the same values. No, the thing is that they don't have to share our values or push our values, but it's important for us that through the collaboration, we can share our values. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So usually it's within skateboarding, music and art. You know, that's the world that we're functioning in. But Mm -hmm. with that said, we can also do collaborations with other brands from outside, you know, this world and also organizations like, you know, for cancer research, for example. Obviously, that was through post. Mm -hmm. But when we worked with The Hunger Project, for example, which has nothing to do with skateboarding, music and art, they help women in developing countries to start their own businesses because they've seen that if they help women the women give 90 percent back to the community they live in so by supporting the women they support the entire community Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. obviously has nothing to do with skateboarding but it's a great cause and if a great cause reaches out you know we are willing to help if we can help yeah yeah, yeah. of course next one let's see assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh akhoi victor how are you doing i miss you um what's the best thing and the worst thing about running a company that was Aram. Aram Sabah, yeah. Yeah, is Aram is the guy who runs SkatePal. Exactly. I love that guy. He's such an amazing guy. Yeah, I saw him on Pushing Borders and uh, yeah. yeah, also someone I'd like to have on the podcast. Yeah, you should definitely get him on the podcast. Like the yeah. work he's doing for Palestine and the children of Palestine is just amazing. Like he's using his passion for skateboarding to make Palestine a better place to live. And he's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best thing about running your own brand is that I don't have a boss. Like I'm my own (laughs) boss and I can do whatever I want. The bad thing about running your own brand is that I never get any days off. Like I always have to work, even though if I'm on holiday, like now I'm going away drawing for a week. I know that I need to get up early in the morning to work and I need to work before I go to bed. And like I was in Copenhagen last week for Copenhagen Open. And then I had to get out of bed at six, seven every morning to be able to work before I could go skate and, you know, join everyone else at Copenhagen Open. Right, right. So I guess that's the bad part that... Work is always on on your mind. Yeah, but with that said, I can do whatever I want. Like, you know, I can go down and draw in Malmö for a week. I can go to Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. You know, I can pick up Bastian for school and take him to football practice. You know, I can do all these things. Like, I have so much freedom, but at the same time, I always need to work. So that's the best and the worst thing about running your own brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a bad thing, but it's also a blessing in in a way. Like, yeah. yeah, for sure. My goal is, you know, to in the future that I only work with CHPO like three days a week and then I have two weeks a week where I can just draw. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure you're going to get there at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As Aram would say, inshallah. Exactly. Fingers crossed. All right. Two last questions. Hey, Victor. Ollie from Skaterstan here. 
Thank you so, so much for supporting Skate to Stand in such an amazing way for so many years. My question is, how can Skate to Stand help Skate Nation and you? Wow. It's quite an honor to get a question from Oliver Perkovich, who founded Skaterstan, which is, you know, such an amazing NGO. And he's yep. like, you've had him on the podcast and had a chance to talk to him. He's, you know, he's such a funny guy. He's, he's such a character. Again, go to Wikipedia and Google character and there will be a picture of, <laughs> uh, of Oliver. He's an amazing person. Well, I think Skaterstan is already supporting Skate Nation because like the idea they had with Skaterstan was that like he made the kids that came through Skaterstan, he made them the coaches and the teachers and the people who run Skaterstan. Yeah. And we're doing the same thing with Skate Nation. So like no Skaterstan, no Skate Nation. So obviously he's already helping in a lot of ways. And now with the situation in Afghanistan with the Taliban taking over and, you know, uncertain future for Skaterstan in Afghanistan, at least ahead, they are doing a lot of work like in the countries where former staff of Skaterstan has ended up. And we already have quite a few of them came to Sweden. Mm-hmm. And the ones that came to Stockholm, they are already coaches at Skate Nation. So they used to work for Skaterstan and and now they work for Skate Nation here. And, you know, the knowledge they bring to us obviously helps us a lot. So I think for Skaterstan to help Skate Nation is just to keep up, you know, what they're doing and keep being this role model for us. I would yeah. say, you know, that's the best thing. And also, like, Oliver is someone I can always call. Like, we're going to be a part of the biggest music festival in Sweden, which is called Way Out West, later this summer. Yep. Where they're going to be, like, a mini ramp, which is built by Bryggeriet. And Vans are going to be there. And SKF, the Swedish Bearings, are going to be there. And we're going to be there with coaches. So if anyone who comes through want to try out skateboarding, our coaches will be there. And we will also be displaying photos from the book and the oh, book okay. would be on sale also the skate nation book that i mentioned earlier yeah, yeah but then red bull also wanted to be there and then i called oliver like what should i do and we had a bit of discussion and that resulted in me calling way out west and saying like the organization behind way out west like well if red bull are going to be there we can't be there you know from my understanding like their founder are supporting right-wing media oh, okay you know the beverages they sell even though i tend to to buy them whenever I need to drive a long distance. You know, they're not good to kids. Yeah, for sure. Even though we won't be working with that many kids that way at West, you know, we are targeting kids and we we can't be associated with a drink that's not good for kids to drink. So just having the possibility to call Oliver and talk to him is such a great support for me. So just by him being there and Skate Stand being here, that really supports Skate Nation. So I guess that's the best answer I could give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. So very last question from another friend of yours. Victor. It's John. First off, before I ask my question, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for spending all this time with the students at Brigerias Gymnasium this year, contributing with your know-how, your lecturing, your support by getting involved in the design class and letting the students design sunglasses and take 100% of the profits for a school trip to the Vlad Film Festival. 
We're looking forward to bringing you along on the trip. Your way of getting involved in education, skateboarding and the world is nothing short of amazing. And I know I speak for many people when I say thank you. And the world should know. And now they do. My question for you is, I know the background about CHPO, but I want to know where you see yourself and the brand in 10 years. Thank you. And I hope to see you soon. Love you. Bye. Wow. That was a bit overwhelming. I don't really know how to reply to that, but (laughs) thank you. Thank you, John. Again, talking about inspiration, he's such a huge inspiration. Like, just look at his skateboarding. Like, he's such a good skateboarder. Yeah. And his passion for skateboarding is just unbelievable. Yeah. But yeah. also, he's just, like, such a smart and driven guy. So, like, whenever you're with him, you just want to do more. Like, he has that effect on people. Like, imagine having him as a teacher when I grew up. You oh, know, that yeah. is mind-blowing he's uh, what he's giving to skateboarding like and to these students is so admirable very true what i'll be doing in 10 years well i already said that like i'm gonna you know i'm gonna do monster oh, yeah. bull <laughs> and uh, i'm gonna own qatar and i'm gonna own these football clubs and all that no but uh, <laughs> in 10 years well i hope i still will be involved i hope i don't have to work as much as i do now I really, really like the work I do, but sometimes, you know, it's a bit too much and it's a bit overwhelming. So I don't know if I, you know, for how long I could work at this level. So as, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, I hope that in 10 years I will be like creative director for like three days a week and two days a week I can just focus on drawing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I really hope that CHPO in one way or another can help pave the way for other brands, you know, to follow our lead, that we can show other brands that it is possible to work in a sustainable way and not only for the environment, but for the community as well. Like to get involved in the community, to really help the community, like both locally and globally, and then to be like a sustainable part of the community and not just being someone who gains a lot of money from the community, Mm -hmm. you know, to actually really give back to community and be part of the community and make, you know, how much of a cliche it might be, but to make this world a better place to live in. Because I think we've shown that it is possible. Mm -hmm. You know, if any of the bigger brands, you know, would follow us, we would see changes. We would see changes in how people think, in how people live. Because, you know, when it all comes down to it, we have to make this world a better place. We need to stop the right wing movement. And also we need to stop the global heating. And, you know, obviously, like the best way would be for every band and everyone just to start producing right away. But in the society we live, that would be more or less impossible. So what's the second best option? Well, the second best option is to work with sustainable materials, use recyclable materials, yeah. make sure that those materials you work with have the certificates that really proves that they are sustainable or they are recycled. So like the vegan leather we use, it's made out of plastic and we have a certificate to prove that it is actually recycled. And the same right. thing goes for our eyewear, that we are using recycled materials. And I hope that a lot of people think like, and I get that question, how can you be so cheap? Because, you know, our sunglasses, they go between 30 and 40 euros and the watches go between 55 and 100 euros. Mm-hmm. 
the thing is, working with sustainable material is not that much more expensive. Mm-hmm. It's just that the market has made us believe that it's more expensive because they charge more for that. But if you talk to the source, it is not that much more expensive. Mm-hmm. And also, like our margins on our side, like what we make, we obviously make less than the competition who charge three times as much for a pair of sunglasses because they make three times as much. But we're still a profitable company. Like I can still pay my employees. I can still skateboard. I can still draw. I can still put food on the table for my family, which I'm obviously not doing myself. Like Josephine is doing that as much as I am. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I can do all these things. I can live a great life without making that much money. Yeah. We've shown that it is possible to be a profitable company and at the same time do great things. It doesn't have to be one way or another. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I hope that CHPO can show other brands that this is possible. You don't have to make all this money. Like being that much richer won't make your life that much better. But by engaging in the community, helping the community, and also working with sustainable materials and fabrics, that will make a change and that will make your and everyone else's life much better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, fingers crossed. I hope uh, more uh, brands will follow your path for sure. As Aram would say, inshallah. Inshallah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, if you go to Palestine and you need to order a tea, vahed shai sukir khafif. That means you're going to order a tea with not too much sugar. Otherwise, it will be too much sugar in that tea and it will be too sweet <laughs> and your teeth will fall off. Vahed shai sukir khafif. That's all you need to do. And I encourage you all go to visit the beautiful country of Palestine. Yeah, and when yeah, you yeah. do, skate with Aram because he's an amazing character. Yeah. Thank you, Victor. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. That's it for my conversation with Victor. Follow him on Instagram at Vtelegin, V-T-E-L-E-G-I-N, to see some of his cool drawings, among other things. Follow CHPO at CHPO Brand. Go visit the website chpobrand.com to check out all their gear as well as the many different collabs they are currently promoting. If you haven't seen it yet, go watch When Least Expected, the short documentary by Marcus Bengtsson about their 2021 trip to Lebanon in collaboration with Make Life Skate Life and Vague Skate Mag. Lastly, Victor drew a board graphic for British brand Love and Skate, which will be available late July at loveandskate.com or at a skate shop near you. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards. Beyond Boards.